We're going to be switching our focus today. As most of you who have been here um, regularly know, we've been doing an exploration of the Psalms, exploring different themes in Psalms. I hope you found that valuable. I encourage you to keep digging into the Psalms. They are such a rich resource of the, as of the many ways we can take our human experiences and all the emotions that go with them to God and really deepen our relationship and our connection to Him and our dependence on Him in every situation of life. Um, I also hope you enjoyed our little experiment and being more interactive in how we did that. I know I got some value in hearing some of your insights. Um, and I really believe that we become a stronger and more transformative church when we seek ways to engage God's Word as a body rather than just coming and listening to one person tell us what they think on a, on a topic. So we're not always going to be that interactive as we were with the Psalms, but as I've said many times before, I want to invite, um, and I'm open to interaction during the sermons, if I'll do my part to really study and prepare and come with um, a message to share with us, to draw us into God's Word. Um, but I want to encourage you that um, you don't there, there may be opportunities for you to be able to share some of your insights and, and, and testimonies of how they apply to the topic. We want to stay focused on, the, on those topics or the, the scripture that we're focused on. Um, but I'm open to hearing those additional insights as we share together. It really is meant to be a body of Christ growing in the Lord together. <clears throat> so for this week, today is the first Sunday of the Advent season for this year. Our Advent is that annual season of remembering the birth of Jesus, the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. It's an opportunity for us to remember and draw close to all we know about who Jesus is and how he came to live among us and why he did that, preparing ourselves to celebrate this important moment in history on Christmas. And so I'd like today to begin by first drawing our attention to God's character. And what an incredible act of love this was for Jesus to come as a child and enter into our human existence. And I want to start with a passage from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. So if you have a Bible with you or you grab one of the Bibles near you, let's open up to Romans chapter 5 together. <clears throat> So Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, the Apostle Paul is writing here. He says, For while we were still weak, at, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, I want to highlight, first of all, this point that Paul makes where he says, um, one person will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. Let's just think about that for a moment. Who would you be willing to give up your life for? Never stopped and thought about that. I mean, really, who would you be willing to die for? That's the first one that often comes to mind. Children, our children, our kids. Anybody else? Spouse, right? Those are usually the top on our list. Yeah. 
Other people who've been there for you. Yeah. Your parents. Yeah. <laughs> You're willing to give up for me. Why wouldn't I be willing to give up for you, right? That's very good, right? Would you be willing to give? Well, kind of along the lines of what Mariah said, maybe for a good friend, somebody who's been there for you. Would you be willing to give up your life for a coworker? Or a neighbor? Or a president, right? It depends, right? Oh, am I being paid for it? (laughs) Well, you know, maybe my benefactors would be paid for it. But we start we start to, you know, there's you can naturally see why. For your spouse, your kids, your parents, you might be willing. Those are the first ones that come to mind because we have that strong connection with them. But you start to extend out a little bit. Like a, a friend, if they've done something good for me, a coworker, yeah, maybe if it's somebody I'm close to. How about somebody who doesn't like you? Would you be willing to die for them? Somebody who's wronged you? Somebody who's treated you unfairly, unjustly? Probably not. And that's the point that Paul is making, right? Very rarely. I read it again. Scarcely. Or for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, right? Perhaps, maybe, a person would be willing to give up their life for a good person, and we can extend, and maybe not even giving up your life, but are we willing to give up our time, our resources for people? Well, it usually depends. It depends on whether there's value, and it depends on who they are, what they've done. And I'm not trying to judge that at all, right? This is just normal. We live in a fallen and broken world. God does call us to be generous and sacrificial with our gifts, our resources, our time, our lives, to show his love to other people. But... I never want to simply come to you and say, you ought to give up everything for everyone else because it's just not that simple, right? Life is much more complicated than that. And it's normal for us to have those value judgments of really, is this worthwhile for me to give up for? And how much do I need to preserve? And how many boundaries do I need to put myself? There's lots of things we need to factor in. The point here is not about us, really. But Paul is using it as a comparison for us to look at and say, do you recognize God's character? And what a difference in his love between what he shows and what we are able to show. Because God, Jesus, was willing to give up his life for all people. And sometimes as Christians, we start to, we, you know, we, we think about how we have accepted Christ and we enjoy this gift of forgiveness and salvation and we forget sometimes the fact that Jesus gave up his life before any of us ever acknowledged our sin. While we were still sinners, while we were still embracing our selfish attitude, while we thought it was all about us, Jesus gave up his life for you. It didn't depend on you at all. You didn't like him. You didn't know him. You didn't think about his ways. Maybe you denied him. Maybe you ignored him, and he still gave up his life for you. That's the point that Paul is making in this passage. Do you recognize what a great love that is? And that's what I want our focus to be is. 
Paul continues to say, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus himself in John 15, 13 said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. So it's a, it's a great expression of love to give up your life for another. And so we do often remember and celebrate Jesus' loving sacrifice for us, as we did today through communion. Remember that he laid down his life for us. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself for all of mankind, not because of any good thing that we have done, not because we proved it or earned it, but because of his love. And I want to take our consideration of that sacrifice just another step further today. My goal today is just to walk away with an appreciation of God's love for us. I want to consider the sacrifice that God the Father made in sending his only son into the world to live as a limited human being. So now, let's go back to that question. It's not a question of, are you giving up your own life? Are you going to give up the life of your child for another? How much more difficult would that choice be? I don't know that any of us, I don't know of anyone who would be willing to do that. I'd be, I'd be willing to lay down my life before I'd say, go ahead and take my child, right? This is the decision that the father made for our sake, to give up his only son. We see an illustration of, of the difficulty of this choice in the book of Genesis, in the account of Abraham and his son Isaac that I'd like to take a look at this morning. So let's open into Genesis chapter 22. And as you're doing that, let me just give a little background and reminder. Abraham, of course, is um, the man that God chose to be the, the father of a great nation, the nation that became the nation of Israel. He, he chose him and said, I'm going to give you a son, a child, and out of him will come this great nation, and I'll give you a land to live in, right? And, it was, and Abraham was, was very old when this promise was made, and he waited many years. He and his wife, Sarah, were well past normal um, childbearing age when finally the, the son Isaac came. And so that's kind of the background as we get into Genesis chapter 22, starting in, verses, um, starting in verse 1. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take this, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And there's the, there's the command. Take this promised child, the child that I told you would become the father of many nations and go sacrifice him. And it continues on. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. But he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Then Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it, on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, 
So they both went, uh, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now this is a very unsettling passage, isn't it? Right? Why in the world would God tell him to sacrifice his child? And there's lots of speculation that, that people have about this and whether or not Abraham knew that God would provide an alternate sacrifice or not. But I think perhaps the point really is for us to consider the sacrifice of your child, your only child. There's some foreshadowing in this passage to the, to the lamb that would be sacrificed on our behalf. That's the Son of God given for us. And to consider what a great sacrifice this is for God the Father to make, to give up his only Son for our sake. There's more involved than just Jesus coming and deciding for himself to give up his own life. This was a sacrifice made by the Father himself. I want to consider for a bit this morning the relationship between God the Father and Jesus, his son. Because, you know, as we talked about, we have this strong connection with our children, and we can't imagine giving that up. But that's not always that way for everyone. Some people don't have very good relationships with their parents or their children. And um, it's not always um, as clear how... What a sacrifice this is for people. And so I want to talk about the nature of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So our biblical understanding of God's nature involves recognizing some things that, that sometimes aren't always clear to us. The Bible makes it clear that there is one God who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that can be hard, as I said, to fully grasp, something we can talk about more in depth later. But this idea of three in one, the Trinity, is based on some essential, essential facts we read about in the Bible. The first is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons with different roles, but they are co-equal and co-eternal. They have been in existence for all time together, and they are connected completely in a way that we we can't fully grasp ourselves. I have a a few passages. I just want to read, highlighting this this connection and this coexistence that Jesus has with the Father. Um, The first is in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So he makes this declaration that the word, Jesus, was with God and is God, and through him all things were made. There's no difference between Father and Son as far as their, 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 are their coexistence and their, and their role in being involved in creation. Colossians chapter 1 tells us um, something else about Jesus' eternality. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 17. We read here, He, referring to Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And again, just emphasizing that Jesus came before all things, and he is involved in creating the world. And then finally, let me just share John 3.16, very familiar passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Whoever believes in him shall not, shall not perish or shall be forgiven and not perish, but have eternal life. Now, the word one and only son, right, is translated in a couple different ways. Some, some passages um, write that as only begotten son. And that's an that's English translation of a Greek word there, trying to, trying to grasp the meaning of this Greek word monogenes. And there's been debate about what exactly it means that Jesus would be begotten. And I have a little bit of um, early church trivia to share with you this morning related to Christmas around how important it is to understand what it means, er, that Jesus' nature. And, and this is all just getting us back to that connection between Father and Son. But in 325 A.D., so 300 almost 300 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, was the first ever church council where over 300 church leaders came together. The Council of Nicaea was called. This is the first time it was ever safe for church leaders to gather together because Constantine had made um, Christianity a, a legal and official religion at that point. Before that, if the church leaders tried to get together, they would have been killed. Simple as that. They would have been persecuted and thrown to the lions maybe. Um, so they finally came together, and they had all these church ideas to, to talk about. As you can imagine, the gospel has been shared throughout the world, the ancient world. Churches have popped up all over, and there, there's these different cheap teachings popping up, and they have to debate on whether some of these are biblical or not. One of these um, has become known as the Arian heresy. There was a, a leader there, there named Arian who was trying to say that Jesus is not equal to God the Father. He was created by God. He came after God, right? And that, that idea of begotten means that God made him. And he was going on and on talking about this and uh, made a vigorous argument for his position. And as the bishops listened, one of them got super irritated at what Arian was saying, got up and slapped him across the face. And that, that leader, his, his name happens to be Nicholas, the guy we know as Saint Nick today. Um, 
right? So you think about Santa Claus and his real-life counterpart, St. Nicholas. Nicholas is known as the guy who loved Jesus so much he could not stand to hear someone say that Jesus came after the Father. It was less than the Father. They got up and slapped a guy across the face. Yeah, he was the first one on the naughty list, right? Um, legend goes that he was arrested and stripped of his bishop's clothes because of this Nicholas, because this was improper behavior, right? Although everyone agreed that Arian was wrong, they couldn't just let Nicholas get away with this, so they threw him in jail, chained him, but that night he prayed for forgiveness, and supposedly Jesus and Mary appeared to him. Jesus gave him um, the book of the Gospels, and Mary gave him a new bishop's cloak, and he was found by his jailer the next day, unchained, wearing the cloak, and then he was restored to his position. That's, that's the legend. But, but remember, though, Santa Claus slapped somebody for dishonoring Jesus. That's the important part. Now, just share all this, right, as a way of getting back to, as I said, that relationship between the Father and the Son. The connection, right, it's hard for us to grasp, like, how close the Father and the Son were. We feel close to our children. We have this bond, this connection. And in the best of cases, that is a strong connection. The father and son were even closer than that. Closer than anything we can imagine. Their love for one another is is, is eternal. Their respect for one another, their their service to one another is, is beyond any human relationship you can imagine. And I highlight this just to bring us to that point of thinking about what a major sacrifice it was for the Father to separate from the Son so that the Son could take on human form, to set aside his divinity, his place in the throne room of heaven, to be among us, to take on flesh. Even just that part of it is a major sacrifice. And then for Jesus to give up his life, to die. And there was that moment on the cross where Jesus says, my father, why have you forsaken me? Imagine the heartbreak of that separation between this father and son in that moment. That's the kind of sacrifice that God made. Now, why did he make it? And for whom? I think that's the important thing for us to to dwell on and give thanks for. He made that sacrifice because of his love for mankind, his love for you. God was willing to do this, this, this awful, terrible sacrifice. He was willing to do it for you. He did it because of his love for you. He did it because of his desire to know you, to be known by you, to have fellowship with you, his desire to show you his grace, to offer you forgiveness for any of the selfish acts that you have done. He wants you to be welcome into relationship with him. And so as we enter into this Christmas season this year, I want to have us begin with this awareness of what an awesome sacrifice God made for your sake. Though we did not deserve it, 
God chose to allow his son to humble himself, to give up his life, and show us this massive and irrational expression of love. And then when you choose to accept and receive that love, and when you ask for forgiveness for your sin and for your selfish ways, not only are you just pardoned, it's not just that, hey, you're forgiven and all other things good now. No. You are transformed into something new. God makes you into a new creation. He no longer sees your sin. Even your ongoing sin after you receive Christ, God no longer sees that. He sees Christ in you. He sees you as his beloved son and, or daughter. He receives you as whole and complete in Christ, not because of your actions, but because of Jesus. It is a whole new way of interacting with you and a whole new way of receiving you and identifying you that God gives you through Jesus. He will always be with you. And as you embrace his love and this new identity in Christ, your heart and your mind are changed with new thoughts and new desires in which you let go of the things of the past and embrace God's desire for you. It's the transformation that happens, but it begins with this incredible sacrifice of love. And so that's our goal for today as we enter into this Advent season to just give thanks to the Lord and have a new appreciation for what an amazing expression of love this was. He made this huge sacrifice and feels that you, you, were worth that sacrifice. Let's give him thanks and praise.